Alrighty, hey everyone, this is uh, week two, Kaylee and my buddy Harris. <laughs> um, imagine that, we made it to week two of the podcast, or podcast two, because we're going to do this bi-weekly. Um, and this is Badass Women in History. Yeah, <laughs> Badass Women in History. Here, let me move the mic a and little bit closer. What's super cool now is we actually have people listening to us. At least three. (laughs) I thought that there would only be three, (laughs) but our SoundCloud on our uh, podcast on Marsha P. Johnson and Amelia Earhart had over 50 views, and I think only, like, maybe five of those were me and probably, like, ten of those were me. (laughs) So, I mean, there's definitely people, like, listening to it, probably our friends, but that's super cool. Thank you for supporting us. And if you're listening to this, that means you're listening on our new SoundCloud account, which is exclusively devoted to Badass Women in History, and I'm working on getting us on iTunes, but we'll see if that happens. Oh, you are? Yeah. That's awesome. Um, They're really complicated. I'm working on it. If Jill and Dick from True Crime Brewery can do it. (laughs) We love you. Should we get... Sponsored by Feral Audio, so we can be with our fave, Erin McGathy. Yes. I love Erin McGathy. Okay, so, yeah, we're, we have a new SoundCloud account, and it's... It's just Badass Women in History. Badass Women in History. And we also have new cover art, which is so exciting. Um, our good friend, um, Maddie Worster, made us some wonderful cover art. Um, you can find her on all the social media under Madison Worcester on Insta. It's M A A A Dison Madison with three A's and then W. And she posts all of her work there. And um, she also has a website that I will tell you about in a hot minute because I just really want to promo her work because she did such an amazing job with our cover art. And I would have never thought that. I would ever have cover art. <laughs> I thought of, it was just going to be my, um, what is it? My Courier. Microsoft Paint uh, yeah. mock-up. So. Yeah, so Maddie made this, this wonderful cover art, and it features both of our uh, ginger heads. My uh, fake ginger head. <laughs> actual kind of ginger yeah. head. Um, and it's just super wonderful. So you can also find her portfolio on www. Maddie, M-A-T-T-I-E, Worcester, W-U-R-S-T-E-R dot com. And all of her work is really, really great. And I met her during Bulldog Welcome Week, too. So I met both of you during Welcome Week. That's uh, wonderful. Hire her. <laughs> yes, hire her. She's wonderful. So many thanks. All right. So before we get to our current event section, I do have a little bit of an update from my last uh, woman last week, which was Amelia Earhart. So I kind of mentioned at the end that she, there was, like, they might have might have found what actually happened to her, um, and that she might have been on an island uh, and killed later on. So, um, Brandon, who is friends with Garrett, um... Do you want to say who Brandon is? My boyfriend. Okay, um, just say it. <laughs> um, Maybe we have viewers who don't know us yet. That's probably about not. us. I True. don't know. So, um, or listeners. His, so his friend Garrett works at the International Spy Museum in DC, and so he has access to cool things like the picture of Amelia <laughs> Earhart. So he so sent awesome. them to me. 
because he's amazing. So I got uh, multiple documents, uh, including a summary of Japanese activities up to 1941. Um, so basically, I'm going to pronounce this wrong. I think it's Jalut Island. Oh, yeah. J- it's J-U-L-U-I-T, um, which is where they think that she was, um, she ended up, um, was taken over by the Japanese uh, and the natives and foreigners were uh, evacuated by 1941. It was taken over by Japanese military authority. Um, and then there's uh, also summaries of non-native people who visited the island or were living there. So, um, uh, unfortunately, there were uh, seemingly a number of Caucasian men and women living there. Um, so the people that are supposed to be Earhart and Noonan might just be... Another white dude. Yeah, people, white, white people that live there, but they're so, uh, like out of place in this picture but it might just be other random white people and then I have summaries of the island and its makeup um and then what is this uh so uh one of the documents shows what was written on the back of the Earhart photo and then the another one shows that the document was included right after the photo it's the only one in the whole file that's redacted. Um, and then I, of course, as well, got the picture. Yeah. And there's no date or any information associated with it. They literally just found it. Yeah. And was, were like, wait a minute. <laughs> so, and of course, like, uh, I've also, I've watched a couple more videos on it since just because I'm, like, super into the series right now. And a lot of people, uh, a lot of veterans or a lot of, um, natives to the area have said yeah no that's that's definitely them and it's like what what would they have to lose they're veterans and people who lived there kind of thing Mm -hmm. so that it's really interesting but yeah Yeah. so that's all i have to say on that i suppose just that i got to see some real cool documents (laughs) and thank you garrett uh brandon says i should buy you a beer but you live (laughs) in washington yeah, these are so cool. Everything's, like, in a courier, and it looks really <laughs> old, and it says, like, confidential at the top, and um, oh, you can see... Oh, am I see... supposed to say something that I used it? Oh, if I do reuse these photos, gotta keep the Declassified Authority NND907002. Yeah. Otherwise, archives might get mad at him. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so hope cool. I covered my bases there, but He's thank you. He's wearing, like, gloves and he's <laughs> holding the... Uh, papers like that's so cool that's so awesome that you had a connection to get a hold of these for us that's so wonderful okay so do we want to start with current events yeah okay so you go first since i just talked okay a great transition hard cut hard cut my current event (laughs) is okay i'm really excited to talk about this um it's a new bill, actually, that Senators Cory Booker and Cory Booker, I'm sorry, and Elizabeth Warren are co-sponsoring together, and it's called the Dignity for Incarcerated Women Act. Um, I'm really excited to hear more about this bill because it's super, super easy for people in prison to really be dehumanized by um, the people who work at the prison, but also just like the general public. Yeah. Um. And they are so um, commonly denied access to a lot of basic self-care products, especially women. 
um, especially, like, sanitary products. So, I mean, I've never thought twice about, like, buying pads or tampons, like, uh, ever. Mm -hmm. Like, when I was growing up, if I ran out, I was just like, Mom! Mom! Um, but, like, last weekend when I was at my cabin... I ran out of tampons without thinking twice. I just, like, hopped in my car and drove to the little gas station and paid, like, $4 for, like, 10 Were they, um, like, the paper ones? The, the cardboard <laughs> applicator and the worst. <laughs> the worst. Um, yeah, and I, like, went, I grabbed my brother. In prison, you can't leave. <laughs> right, exactly. And, um, so I grabbed my brother. We, like, went. I grabbed the $4 tampons and, like, a huge ice cream sandwich. <laughs> anyway... Because you deserved it. <laughs> um, I was really frustrated about how I, like, had to pay that much for 10 big tampons. But still, I could buy them, no problem. My weekend at my cabin would have been ruined if I couldn't buy them. Um, but, yeah, I can't even imagine being in prison and having to pay, like, outrageous prices for tampons and pads. Because in prison, when they have, like, the commissary, apparently, so outside contractors, like, sell their products to the prison... And they, because the demand is so high, they can, like, hike up the prices really, really crazy. Oh, it's not cool. Right. I mean, it's like, well, we need these, so we're going to pay for them. Well, like, what are you going to do? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. So, the bill's um, goal is to have pads and tampons free to all prisoners, but there are also a few um, other really amazing parts of this bill. So, they... The goal is to ban prison officials from putting pregnant women in solitary confinement, okay. which um, I guess I never really thought like that happened, just because maybe some sort of compassion exists in the world, but yeah. apparently not. <laughs> so, yep, they're going to ban prison officials from putting pregnant women in solitary confinement, which is awesome. Solitary confinement is uh, scary in itself. Regardless of if you're pregnant or not. Regardless yeah. of if you're a woman or not. Um, but then they also are um, taking the location of, like, the woman's children into consideration when determining their prison placement. So part of the bill is, like, when they figure out what prison this woman's going to go to, if, like, her children are located, like, in this city, they're not going to send her to a prison, like, multiple states away. Okay, that's, Or even, yeah. like, hundreds of miles away, hopefully. That would be, mm-hmm. you know, helpful. Well, prevents people from seeing their family. I yeah. mean, even though you're in prison, you still have family. You're still a person. Yeah. Then cool. Also, um, Cory Booker's main thing he really wanted to do was um, increase prisoners' access to counseling... Because 75% of women in prison are survivors of domestic violence, and 85% are survivors of sexual violence. Um, So there's a statement from Cory Booker that says, It's the most vulnerable people that our prison system preys upon. The people that need help, that need counseling, that need trauma care, that need healing, are the ones that we prey upon. So, he's really sponsoring this new effort to um, increase availability to counseling. And also, um, just, like, increase um, resources to, like, still keep in contact with your family in these prisons. Because, like, a lot of times you either choose between, like, 
having money to, like, if you have to pay for a phone call to your family or, like, buying tampons or something. Yeah. And so they're really trying to um, put an end to that. So that's really, really awesome to hear. I wonder if um, Orange is the New Black has uh, brought that issue to light a little more. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Um, I don't really know, but, um, yeah, there's a bunch of really cool articles about it. Um, Rolling Stone Magazine has a really cool article about that. Um, but yeah, again, this, um, act is called the, um, Dignity for Incarcerated Women Act. And there's a lot of work to be done, obviously, but it does make me really hopeful for the restoration of, yeah, some sort of dignity to incarcerated women, um, and hopefully more help for, um, incarcerated men to come, incarcerated trans people, um, all that. Yeah, that's super, super cool. Yeah. Awesome. That's me. Cool. Okay, so my current event is, like, not kind not, so it's a thing I found out about. But it's not, like, necessarily new. But it's called Lenny Letter. Oh. Of this. Yeah, it's uh, Lena Dunham's. Yeah, so I'm, like, letter. excited about it, but I'm also, like, not excited about it. Because it's Lena Dunham. Okay, I'm glad that we're on the same page about how we feel about Lena yeah. Dunham. So, yeah. like, awesome. it's cool because there's a lot of cool different articles that, like, a lot of different women get to submit. And it's, like, women of all color, all race, all gender identity mm-hmm. etc um so i'm excited Sexual about it orientation and all that yeah and it's like it's it's cool because it's giving them a voice to uh, and a platform mm-hmm. but it's not cool because it's lena donna <laughs> who i just find extremely problematic and extremely cisgendered white feminism like yeah, poster child yeah she's like the poster child of white feminism and so but does she like highlight women of color in the podcast or does or it's, not the podcast the I, newsletter so i signed up for the newsletter mm-hmm. and i have not gotten one yet because i signed up for it like three days ago i think mm-hmm. and it's twice a week so i should have one by now lena <laughs> um so i'm really not sure they're like i'm just on the homepage right now and like articles that are popping up or will wonder woman change sexism in hollywood What's that scent? It's ODU, so I don't really know what that is. Um, three Iraqi women who escaped ISIS speak out. Okay. Uh, what you just said out is very Minnesota. I don't want to talk like. about it. <laughs> um, your new boyfriend's dog has some words of caution for you. I'm not really sure what that's about. Hmm, that's really interesting that uh, Lena Dunham would uh, write about uh, dogs because there's been like a crazy incident with her dog. <laughs> what (laughs) she like got this rescue dog um a couple years ago and apparently it was super destructive so she like uh gave it back it's been like a huge big deal on social media i don't really want to get super into it because i don't really like to like feed into her i didn't want to get too into her specifically Mm -hmm. i just was like this could be cool because it could be a great platform Mm -hmm. but it could also not be cool because it could be what she specifically wants to put out in the world which i just don't think is what i want 
to be put out in the world. So I will update you when I get my first um, Lenny letter. And also I have the Amelia Earhart thing, so I'm covered. It's fine. (laughs) No, that's really awesome. I think the main take-home message with that and with people like Lena Dunham is that feminism just isn't only about um, women always loving other women and never criticizing other women. It's about holding your peers accountable. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's not, I'm not anti-feminist and Karis isn't anti-feminist just because we We are not into... Yeah, and we're not into (laughs) Lena Dunham. Like, it's, we are just holding women accountable the same way we hold men accountable because we're all people and we all have ideas and we're, we just hold people accountable like that's it. We're all human. Yeah. We all have yeah. ideas. Like that's part of feminism is being able to have like constructive criticism on your fellow human. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see. I'll update y'all and we'll see what happens. So do we want to play a little bit of a uh, interlude uh, music and then get to our badass woman of the week? Yes, I'm super excited. All right. Alright, and we're back. Awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, because you, well, you went first last time, so I'll go first. Yeah, and I'm really excited. So this week, we actually are surprising each other with who we chose. So Which, last week, because our podcast was in, we were talking about it so much, we both kind of knew who the other person was doing. But yeah. this week's going to be the start of, like, surprises. Yeah, oh, so... My person of the week is Harriet Tubman. Harriet Tubman? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's who I chose. Oh, no! no I, t- I totally kidding. I totally kidding. I totally oh, kidding. Oh, no! <laughs> okay. You're good. I didn't choose her. It's fine. Okay. So, Harriet Tubman. <laughs> I'm so sorry. So, Harriet Tubman, um, as we all know, uh, is an abolitionist and helped many a slave to freedom in her many years. So she was born anywhere between 1815 to 1825. Um, no one's actually sure where she was born or when, and she didn't know either. In, like, paperwork that she signed on multiple accounts, she, like, put three different birthdays at some point. Like, some say 1815, some say 1820 best estimates are anywhere from 1820 to 1822 to her parents Harriet uh, called Rit Green and Ben Ross. Rit was owned by Mary Pattinson Brodess and her son Edward and Ben was owned by Anthony Thompson who later married Mary. So that's how they met. And Tubman was born, I think it's Araminta Ross. She was called Minty. Harriet Tubman was called, was called Minty for the oh. first so sweet. A long time of her life. Her grandmother was called Modesty, and she was brought from Africa. Um, that's her maternal grandmother. 
She was brought from Africa as a part of the Ashanti lineage, which is now Ghana. Her family was taken apart as some of her siblings were sold off from her large family. I think she had like nine siblings. And Tubman took care of her younger brother and another baby. At five or six, Harriet was a nursemaid to a woman called Miss Susan and had to watch her baby as it slept. And if the baby woke up and cried, Harriet was whipped. She would resist beatings by running away, wearing multiple layers of clothing, and fighting back. As a child, she also worked at James Cook's plantation, chucking muskrat traps in the marshes. She contracted measles and had to go home to her mother to get um, nursed back to health. And when she got better, she was hired out again. And then when she got older, she started doing field work. So she was driving oxen, plowing and hauling logs, etc. And then when she was a kid, she actually suffered head trauma. She, like, um, there was a slave that was going to get beaten because he was trying to escape and so her owner tried to get her to block him off so he couldn't escape and instead she let this, uh, the other guy run away and so he her owner was trying to throw a weight at him but it actually hit her. Oh. It was like a 20 pound weight or something. Like a dumbbell? Yeah, Whoa. I think something like that. So it hit her in the head and she um, had problems because of that <laughs> yeah that makes um, sense. so she never received medical attention she got like two days off of work and then she just like had to go back and work and she suffered for the rest of her life seizures epilepsy headaches and like weird visions oh wow i didn't know that yeah wow. so they think they that she had a i think temporal lobe ep- epilepsy And then in 1844, she married a free black man called John Tubman, which is when she changed her last name. Uh, And then at the time, slave status was through your mother. So if they had any kids together, they would automatically be enslaved. This was kind of a way, um, because obviously a lot of um, white men and white owners would often rape Mm -hmm. their um, slave women... And so that was a way to kind of keep everything in check, was, like, any of their kids that they had would still be enslaved. Oh, man. But her husband was a free black man. Um, But still, they didn't have any kids because of that. Um, She changed her name uh, shortly after their marriage from Araminta to Harriet, um, either because she wanted to escape, and that was kind of trying to uh, symbolize that she was moving on, or just to honor her mother. In 1849, she became ill and she wasn't useful to Edward anymore, and he tried to sell her, but he couldn't because um, she was she just had all the, that head trauma and stuff. And then he died. She actually was praying to like be able to escape or to be set free, and then it looked like he was going to be able to sell her. So then she was she was like, "J.K. God, can you just kill him?" And he did. He died. <laughs> he killed him. He died. God killed him. So. Um, so she and her brothers ran away while his wife was trying to um, to sell the slaves and kind of g- distribute them. And so they ran away, and so she didn't really notice for, like, two weeks. And that's when she actually printed that they had run away. So they were, like, long gone by then. Oh, wow. But then her brothers wanted to return because they had families, and so she had to return with them. Oh. Otherwise, they would have gotten in trouble, and then they probably would have figured out where to find her. So then, after that, she was like, bye, and she escaped again (laughs) on her own uh, using the Underground Railroad, and then along Chop Tank River through Delaware, and then when she got to Pennsylvania, she was free. 
So it would be approximately 90 miles on foot. She would have traveled at night using the North Star um, and trying to avoid slave catchers. And then the uh, homes on the railroad were called conduct, and the people there were called conductors. Uh, and they would pretend to have her working for them by day, and then at night they would take her to the next safe house. Wow. Um, in Philadelphia, she worked odd jobs to make money. Where'd it go? So, um, where'd it go? Oh, <laughs> she worked odd jobs to make and save money, and then the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850 escaped punished slaves and forced free state governments to return escaped slaves, um, which made things a lot harder. Uh, she began making trips to Maryland to help her family escape, starting with her brother-in-law's wife and family, and then continuing from there uh, with family members and friends. With each trip to Maryland, she became more confident. And she was actually, her nickname was Moses. Oh, wow. Which was common, like, commonly said throughout, like, all kinds of different, like, slave uh, plantations and stuff like that. Like, they knew of her? Yeah, they knew of her by Moses. Moses. And it was helpful because if any white man heard about it, they would know, they would think they were looking for a guy. Mm. They, like, always thought that they were looking for a guy. So that's probably one of the big reasons she never really got caught. So, um... Okay. So, because of the Fugitive Slave Act, many escaped people went for southern Ontario to continue their free lives, because then they were out of the U.S., so they couldn't be taken back. And Tubman let a group of 11 fugitives there, and they may have actually stopped at Frederick Douglass's way house on the way there. Oh. Which is really cool. That's cool. So, Tubman returned to Maryland continuously for 11 years, rescuing 70 slaves and 13 trips, including brothers, their wives, and children. She gave um, instruction for 50 to 60 more fugitives to help them escape. And she worked in the winter for the longer nights and less likelihood of people out and about. They left Saturday nights so newspapers couldn't print about their disappearance until Mondays. Which I thought was super uh, smart as well. So say that again? So they would escape Saturday nights so Sunday mornings when they found that their slaves were missing they couldn't print that they were missing until Monday when the paper came out that's so sneaky I know so sometimes she would disguise herself when she was on her way down there as well um and on like two or three separate occasions she ran into former owners um and had to like avoid them one she was like carrying a chicken like her former owners? Yeah, her former owners. Oh, wow. So, like, once she was carrying a chicken and she was, like, walking by him and she was like, shit. So, she, like, made the chicken upset so she could, like, pretend to be paying attention to that instead of, like, looking at him. Uh-huh. And then another time she was on a train, like, right near one of her former owners and she pretended to read the newspaper. And so he didn't think anything of it because she was, like, supposed to be illiterate. Or maybe it was still illiterate, but he was just like, well, the lady's reading newspaper. Uh-huh. Um, and November 1860 was Tubman's last mission and the hardest of them all taking um, until December 28th 1860 to reach New York um, because at that point there were a lot of people that were really catching on on how they were escaping and where uh, they were going and stuff like that 
And then in 1861 was when the Civil War broke out. And in 1863, she was the first woman to lead an armed assault uh, during the Civil War. Uh, when Montgomery and his troops conducted an assault on, the co on a collection of plantations along the Combahee River, Tubman served as a key advisor and accompanied the raid. On the morning of June 2nd, 1863, she guided three steamboats around Confederate mines leading to the shore. Once ashore, Union troops set fire to the plantations, destroying infrastructure and seizing thousands of dollars worth of food and supplies. When the steamboats sounded their whistles, slaves throughout the area knew that they were being liberated. Tubman watched as um, slaves stampeded towards the boats. More than 750 slaves were rescued. Uh, and then during a train ride to New York, the conductor told her to move in the smoking car. She refused, explaining uh, her government service. He cursed her and grabbed her, but she resisted, and he summoned two other passengers for help. While she clutched at the railing, they muscled her awake, breaking her arm in the process. They threw her into the smoking car, causing her more injuries. Other white passengers cursed Tubman and shouted at the conductor to kick her off the train. Despite her years of service, she never received a regular salary and was denied compensation. Her unofficial status and the unequal payments offered to play black soldiers caused great difficulty documenting her service, and the U.S. government was slow in recognizing its debt to her. Tubman did not receive a pension for her service in the Civil War until 1899. Hmm. Her constant humanitarian work for her family and former slaves, meanwhile, kept her in a state of constant poverty, and her difficulties in obtaining a government pension were especially taxing for her. Uh, Tubman spent her remaining years in Auburn, New York, tending to her family and other people in need. She worked various jobs to support her elderly parents and took in boarders to help pay the bills. One of the people Tubman took in was a 5'11 tall farmer born in North Carolina called Nelson Charles Davis. I think she was 4'11. She was tall. Um, and he was a veteran of the 8th United States Colored Infantry, serving as a private in the unit from September 1863 till the late summer of 1865. And he started working as a bricklayer. And soon they fell in love, uh, though he was 22 years younger than she was. On March 18, 1869, they were married, and they adopted a baby girl called Gertie in 1874 and lived together uh, until, as a family until Nelson died in 1888 of tuberculosis. And then Tubman's friends and supporters from the days of abolition, meanwhile, uh, raised funds to support her. Uh, Sarah Hopkins Bradford wrote an authorized biography. She also fought uh, for, suffrage, for suffrage alongside Susan B. Anthony. Um, and But she probably actually, like, fought for, like, suffrage for, like, all Oh, yeah, no, like, uh, for, yeah, but, like... <laughs> Not just white ladies? There's, I have a quote. Oh, I saw, um, a white woman at once asked Tubman whether she believed women ought to have the right to vote and receive the reply, I suffered enough to believe it. Yeah. There she is. Um, and then as she aged, her seizures, headaches, and suffering from her childhood had trauma continued to plague her. At some point in the late 1890s, she underwent brain surgery, which sounds terrifying what? in 1890. In 1890, she Ugh. had brain surgery? Ugh, I don't like that. Unable to sleep because of pains and buzzing, she asked if a doctor could operate. He agreed, and in her words, sawed open my skull and raised it, and now it feels more comfortable. What? She received... 
no anesthesia for the procedure and reportedly chose to instead bite down on a bullet as she had seen Civil War soldiers do oh. when their limbs were amputated. <laughs> amputated. Oh my god. And then she continued to live. By 1911, her body was so frail that she had to be admitted into the rest home uh, named in her honor. A New York newspaper described her as ill and penniless, prompting support to offer a new round of donations. Surrounded by friends and family members, Harriet Tubman died of pneumonia in 1913. Just before she died, she told those in the room, I go to prepare a place for you. When she died, Tubman was buried with semi-military honors at Fort Hill Cemetery in Auburn, New York. Wow. Okay, so here's the other thing. She lived almost 100 years. That's crazy. And by the sounds of it, it sounds like for her epilepsy, she might have had something called a corpus colossus. To me, so that's where you um, make a cut in the corpus callosum um, to limit the spread of epileptic activity between the two halves of the brain. Ooh. So your halves of your brain don't communicate with each other. Okay, but they were like, "We're just gonna cut your head open." Well, that's so, and nice. you're gonna bite on this fucking bullet. <laughs> that is no nope. crazy. Mm. I cannot even imagine certified badass. Maybe. So that's Harriet Tubman. And she's going to be on the 20, right? She's taking Andrew Jackson's place. What's he yes. on the 20? I'm so ready. Yeah, uh, I'm very I think ready that's, for that. I don't think it's going to happen until, like, 2020, though. Yeah. Because I have to, like, do the whole taking him out of circulation thing, but... Right, yeah. Um, but it's still awesome, because she is... Wonderful. A badass woman from history. She's wonderful. Well, you know, you always hear so much about her, but, like, never that much in depth. Oh, yeah, no, like, I knew she, like, um, freed the slaves, but... Yeah, and she didn't create the Underground Railroad, which is another misconception. I always thought that she created it. She just used it, because she used it to escape herself, so... Wow. All right, you ready? Yeah, I'm really excited to tell you about mine. Okay. So, I chose Jane Goodall. I love Jane Goodall. Um, she is probably, overall, like, one of my most favorite people <laughs> in the entire world. Um, because she inspired me to be a scientist. Um, nice. I remember in, like, seventh grade, back home, in my English class, we, like, read about her. We read about one of her... Maybe it was an autobiography or a biography, just, like, a passage about her. Um, and it was super cool to just be exposed to that information about her. Um, but I really didn't, like, think twice. But obviously, looking back while um, learning about her at, like, such a young age, probably really unconsciously influenced me as I grew up. Yeah. Um, for those who don't know, maybe your friends that are listening, I don't know. I am majoring in biology, but I'm really, really interested in evolutionary biology and ecology, so, like, exactly what... So, so you just want to be Jane Goodall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. Um, so now that I'm really conscious about my uh, passions, I'm really excited to talk about someone who, as is so inspiring to me and hopefully inspiring to others. Um, so, yeah. Jane Goodall is probably known to everyone for her 55-year observational study on chimpanzees in Tanzania. 
Uh, She's like, I have time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it didn't start out that way. She just did a couple years, but she just keeps going back. Um, So she is an author and a conservation activist also, but those obviously came with time after doing this study. Um, She's 83 years old right now. Um, and right now she spends her time traveling and giving speeches for her foundation, the Jane Goodall Institute. She also founded um, an organization called Roots and Shoots, which is like a pre-K program that um, raises awareness of conservation and animal welfare issues. And like, there's a bunch of chapters all throughout like the world. And she helps them like she encourages the these children to kind of like identify problems with like conservation and animal welfare issues like within their neighborhood which is really cute um and then like the adults that work for her help like these kids figure out how to like solve and campaign for like these issues and do really cute stuff, um, a pre-K program that I'd totally be down to (laughs) do. I wish I would have been a part of that. Um, but yeah, I just, I'm getting really ahead of myself because I just really want to geek out about her, um, and all of her, like, scientific accomplishments. Um, but first, starting at the beginning. So she was born Valerie Jane Goodall in 1934 in London. Um, her father was a businessman and her mother was a novelist. She says that her love of animals, specifically chimps, was sparked when she was given a lifelike stuffed chimpanzee she named Jubilee when she was only like a year or two old and like everybody in her family, so her parents gave it to her and all of her parents' friends were like, she's going to be scared, she's going to have nightmares of this chimp. Um, but she ended up loving it, and she still has it, like, to this day. Like, That's she so keeps cute. in the shelf, isn't that so sweet? So she was always interested in exotic animals, um, and she dreamed of traveling to Africa, like, her whole life. She read books, she loved reading about, like, exotic animals, exotic birds, um, all sorts of, like, really, really cool stuff. I'm just... Like stuff I did, stuff I did, so I'm just like super excited. I'm like, what if I'm the next Jane Goodall? I'm very <laughs> excited. I love her, but um, so she always dreamt about traveling to Africa, but she never went to college, which I didn't know. She never went oh. to college. Um, well, she did later, but when she oh was like God. our age, she didn't go to college. She's a secretary at Oxford University for a while, um, but. She's always interested in visiting Africa, and she had a friend, and her friend just, like, invited her to go to Kenya. She Uh, was like, yes, please. Yes. And by the sounds of it, I mean, her dad was a businessman, and her mom um, was a novelist with, like, a pen name, and um, she seemed to be upper class, or at least middle upper class, so they could at least, like, afford to send her to Africa. Um... So, she went to the Kenyan Highlands in 1957. Um, so, she went to Kenya, and when she was in Kenya, she um, was a secretary in Kenya. So, she's, like, living in Kenya, right? So, she's doing secretary work there, and, like, a friend of a friend knew um, this anthropologist and paleontologist. His name was Louis Leakey. 
And he was really, really interested in um, studying, like, evolutionary biology, specifically with um, all sorts of, like, upper-level primates. And so she met up with Louis Leakey and just literally to, like, talk about animals. Um, And Leakey, coincidentally, like, really wanted a researcher for, like, his team of scientists to, like, look more at, like, the evolutionary, um, behaviors of chimpanzees and, um, their social behaviors and all that to see if, like, that could shed some light on, um, early behaviors of, like, early humans, right? And so she met with Louis Leakey and he she was then his secretary. He was like, oh, okay. Like, he saw some potential in her. So she was his secretary. Because at that time, that was all she was really qualified to do. Um, but she, he went on this archaeological dig. And um, she came with. And she really, really liked it. And he just, like, um, was like, wow. She really has, like, the temperament and the personality um, and the patience to basically do science. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so she, or Louis Leakey sent her on this, uh, study, um, to look at the behavior of, it's called, like, the vervet monkey, and it's on an island in Lake Victoria, Lake Victoria. So she did that, and I mean, she's not qualified to do it at all, right? She yeah. like, doesn't have any degree at this point. She's like, all right, she's going to do the studies in Africa with no degree. Uh, no. <laughs> right? And so, like, other scientists are rightfully kind of, like, cranky at Louis Leakey, like, what are you doing? Um, which, honestly, if I was in their place, I'd be, You'd be rightfully like, so. I'd be like, mm-hmm. I want to go to a study on Lake Victoria. Like, why are you studying this person without a degree there? Granted, I don't have my degree yet, but still. Um, so she's not really qualified, but, um, he was a huge influence on Jane Goodall because he really saw potential in her, and, um, he also really believed that studying, like, higher primates' behavior would produce, like, really important evolutionary information, um, especially on, like, human behavior. So he believed in Jane's Goodall, Jane Goodall's scientific capability, even though she had no scientific education, or any degree for yeah. like, the matter. So, and then in 1960, he was like, well, I want you, I think you have the temperament, the temperament to be a part of this long-term study on chimps. Um, and so in 1960, Jane, her mom came with, then like a cook, because Jane couldn't go alone from like some law or like guideline or something. So Jane went with her mom. They went to a place called the Gambe Stream Reserve in Tanzania to study a group of chimps. So, right away, she was getting too close, and they would, like, run off, and so she would have to find, like, a new group of chimps. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> it took her two years of trial and error for the chimps to not be fearful of her presence at their feeding ground. So, she kind of went to an elevated spot on their feeding ground, and then would kind of look down at them, and then... At first, it took, like, a year for them just to kind of get used to her being there and not, like, be scared and run away. And then then she started, like, she would have bananas. And then when the chimp would, like, a chimp would come to her and she would, like, feed them a banana. So, at 
like two years later. So she's been doing this for two years, just going up, yeah. walking up to this like higher ground in their feeding area, barefoot, just sitting there with her journal like all day. Um, so she finally established the chimp's trust because she was feeding them bananas when they approached her. So now she's like basically in this like pack of chimpanzees. She's basically an honorary. She's chimp. like, yep, she's like the <laughs> lowest level of chimp. She's not like an alpha or beta or anything, but she's there. Like they're still cool with her. Um, so what she mainly got famous for was her work with chimps, but when she was doing this work, she discovered like some really cool things. So, um, it was originally thought that chimps were vegetarians, but um, Goodall observed them eating insects, other, like, lower-level primates, and she also saw some cannibalism. I know. And, um, she also noticed that they were using tools to effectively find food. So, what they would do is, um, these chimps, they would, like, um get a stick or stalks of grass and put them into, like, a termite mound, and then they would pull them out, and then termites would be all on them, and so then they would, like, fish for the termites and, like, lick the termites off and eat them, and they would, they were making, like, tools to, like, get food, so that's super cool that they had, like, the brain capacity to make tools, so that was a really, really big discovery for... Jane, because they were like, well, maybe they're more like humans than we think. Yeah. So they were making tools because they're really, really smart. Um, and she did see, like, some really, like, peaceful and affectionate behavior, but she also did see, like, really aggressive sides, um, like how they would eat and hunt smaller primates. Sometimes they would, like, um, corner a lower level primate and, um, then, like, all attack it at once. Or, um, I mean, animal behavior, but they all, pre- everybody previously thought that chimps were vegetarians, so seeing them, like, do these, like, strategic hunting methods was really cool. Yeah. Um, and so then she kind of figured out their, like, social caste system with, like, alphas and betas and, um, helpers. She, so, she also did this thing that, uh, is not, it's pretty frowned upon in science, where when you're studying something, you usually number them, Mm -hmm. and they just have a number, and all of my internships, all of my subjects have just had a number. You don't want to get attached to these animals, no matter, like, how cute and furry they are, right? Um, but she named all of her chimps, or, like, her favorite ones that would approach her, So, I'll just chat about a couple of these, but then I'll bring it back to the science in a sec. So, she, like, um, her first, her first, um, chimp pal that came up to her, and she still says, like, he's her favorite, um, that was, uh, David Greybeard, and he was, um, just, like, um, a gray-chinned male chimpanzee. And that's so sweet. Like, she gives them all, like, human names, kind of. There's Goliath, who's uh, David Greybeard's friend. They're just, like, pals. And there's Mike and Humphrey. 
Um, and then there's Gigi, who is a large female, but she's sterile. So she, and she literally describes her as, like, the cool aunt. Oh my god. I know, isn't that so sweet? I love that. Um, yeah, and she names, like, the mom. There's, like, Flo, who's a mom, and then all of her kids, like, Freud and Fifi and Flint, like, so it's so cute when we think about it now. But scientifically, like, that's frowned upon. Because one of the biggest, like, no-nos of studies is um, anthropomorphizing your subjects. Yeah. Making your subjects seem human-like because that creates bias um, and favoritism, right? Yeah. Um, But, regardless, (laughs) she is the only human to ever really be accepted into a group of chimps, which is really, really cool in itself. And I mean... She didn't get that um, honor just by, like, numbering off these chimps. Like, yeah. She, they were a part of her life for years and years. So then, um, in 1964, she married this uh, wildlife photographer named Hugo um, von Lewick. And he actually was a baron. So for a while there, like, she was um, known as Baroness Jane Van Lewick Goodall, right? That's cool. I know. But then they got divorced a couple years later, but they had a son named Hugo. And then, um, so after they got divorced, the next year she married a man named Derek Bryson, and he was a member of Tanzania's parliament. So this is in, um, 1975. They're married. Um, and he's a member of the Tanzania's parliament, which was a good, uh, personal life move and career move because then Bryson was able to, like, protect, protect Goodall's research project and implement an embargo on tourism at the, like, the park that she was, the reserve that she was studying at. Nice. Um, so people, like, couldn't mess with her projects. Um, I'm not trying to say that in, like, uh, she just did, she just married this guy, so no, her study, but... her science would be protected. But, I mean, he did that for her, which is awesome. Um, so, yeah. And then going off of that, um... So, she is very into conservation and um, awareness of, like, endangered species. Obviously, the chimps still, um, and animal welfare. And so, her husband died just a few years after they got married, and she hasn't married since. Um, But she's been doing her study for, like, 55 years. So, when did she get her degree? Oh, so, she actually, so she never had, like, a bachelor's degree or anything like that, um, but in 1962, Louis Leakey was like, yeah, you rock, like, so she's been doing the study for, like, a couple years now, and, um, so Louis Leakey was like, okay, I have faith in you, and so he raised funds to send her to Cambridge University... Um, and then she went to Newnham College and got a PhD, and she's, like, the eighth person ever there to get a PhD without having, like, a bachelor's degree at all. Oh, wow. Like, she has a thesis. 
She completed her thesis in 1965 um, called The Behavior of the Free-Ranging Chimpanzee, which is, like, where she detailed her first five years of study at the reserve. Mm -hmm. But, like, she has no bachelor's degree. Nice. I know. Right? I wish I didn't have to have a bachelor's degree. I wish, right? I wish people had such so much, so much faith in me that they would just like be like, "Oh no, we're just gonna pay you to get your PhD. You're fine." <laughs> um, please, please come here. Right. So she's super, super cool, and um, she travels like three. She's 83, and she still travels 300 days a year, advocating for um, chimps and the environment. She really, like, walks the walk when it comes to treating animals ethically, too. She's a vegetarian, and she works to educate the public about wild chimps' endangered habitats, and also the unethical treatment of chimps used for scientific research. So, like, she's a scientist, and she's still like, uh-uh. And I identify with that. Um, yeah, overall, she's just um, so cool and sweet. She's... Still alive. She has a she's bunch of... She's got the cutest face. I know. She's she such a sweet like lady. She looks like the nicest woman in the world. <laughs> I know. She's so sweet. I encourage you to check her out online. Go to her... The Jane Goodall Institute's website. Look at her YouTube videos because she's just so sweet and inspiring. And as someone who wants to go into, like, wildlife management, research, and conservation, I'm just, like, in awe of this badass woman. Good shit. Yes, that's me. I love it. I'm, yeah, I'm glad you picked somebody that, like, inspired your life. <laughs> oh, yes, she is wonderful. I figured I had to throw in a science lady somewhere. Oh, yeah, obviously. <laughs> All right, well, that pretty much concludes it for Badass Women in History. Um, still send us your badass uh, women in your life. I know we have some coming. Um, which we want to include as a, an ending segment on the show. Um, but since we talked about Amelia Earhart, I think we're good for time this week. Yeah, thank you so much for listening. I definitely do want to hear um, of, like, your everyday badass woman in your life. Like, yeah. um, if your mom rocks or your, your best friend or... A teacher, a professor, a I have so neighbor. many professors that have inspired me, so many teachers. So I'd love to hear about that. And we'll brag about your badass woman in your life for you so you don't feel weird <laughs> about it. I will oh brag God. for you. I will talk them up so much. Oh my goodness. But yeah, so thank you guys for listening all gosh like 47 of you <laughs> yeah that's I'm crazy obsessed with the fact that there are that many of you so yeah and we will talk to you in two weeks ish awesome thank you bye we love you love you bye i can still hear us singing